G'day, and welcome to episode 99 of the Packethy Podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson, and today's episode is with Irma Lafleur, who is the Director of Consumer Experience at True Local. Now, True Local is a business that was founded in February 2016, and its HQ is located in a place called Kitchener in Ontario. Um, True Local itself is an online business or marketplace that connects um, consumers with local farmers and meat producers. Uh, you can order an online box, and it'll arrive to you uh, via FedEx or I think there may be another couple of carriers um, that'll get it into your hands. But either way, um, it's a great platform and I recommend all of you head on down into the show notes and click on their website link and uh, check it all out. Um, obviously, um, during the discussion today, Irma goes into a lot of detail on the startup story and the business model that is True Local. Um, now, I guess the thing that um, is unique about True Local is, like I said, it was founded in 2016, and in 2020, it had a pretty awesome acquisition or exit uh, for $16.7 million. So um, the founding team were obviously able to build a lot of value into that business and prove its worth uh, in a relatively short amount of time. So I was really looking forward to having a conversation with um, with Irma about the business today. And uh, yeah, she definitely didn't disappoint. Um, it really is story time today. Uh, Irma went into a lot of detail on, you know, some of the big moments that really defined the business over the years and uh, and really turned it into the powerhouse that it is. So, yeah, really looking forward to getting all of your feedback and um, on this show because I learned a hell of a lot and I hope that you all learn a lot too. So as well as any questions that you might have from today's episode, I also invite feedback on the show, or if you have somebody that you think that I should speak to on the show and interview, uh, you got to let me know about it. And the best way to do that is by emailing me at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com, or you can also find me on LinkedIn just by looking up my name, which is H-A-Y-D-E-N, Hayden Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely be able to catch up there. Um, Okay, let's get on with the episode. Let's let Irma speak for herself. Cheers. Irma, welcome to the show. Thanks, Hayden. Thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. Um, I'm so thrilled to have an opportunity to speak to you. Um, You know, I've been online and I've been doing quite a bit of research about True Local and it really is an exciting business. And uh, True Local came onto my radar quite some time ago. Um, But I've got to admit, I haven't engaged in your services yet, but it's something that I will do in the very near future. The reason that I'm really excited to talk to you today is because you are an online business, an online retailer to some degree that really connects, um, you know, producers to the end consumer. So you're a connector and, uh, you know, you've been in business since 2016 and here you are in 2022. So, you know, you've been in business for quite some time. And I think that the conversation that we will have today, um, you know, will really um, offer a lot of people out there some insights that we otherwise wouldn't be able to get. So, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to chat. Awesome. I'm excited for it. So let's start with a little about you. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was born in Bosnia um, and my family and I moved to Canada when I was six years old. So I've lived here pretty much my whole life. Yep. Um, I grew up in Kitchener and then I went to school just right down the street in Waterloo. I went to Wilfrid Laurier University uh, for sociology and psychology. Um I originally, I had always kind of wanted to work in social work or criminology or law, something like that. Even as a kid, I remember always saying when people would ask me what I wanted to do for a living, I would always say that I wanted to be a private detective, which like what kid wants to be a private detective of all <laughs> things? So I always a knew that I kind eye. of yeah. wanted to do something. Yeah, right? Like the weirdest, most random 
I know most people want to be like astronauts, but I've always just been really, really good with people and always loved people. Cool. So I knew that whatever kind of path I took would lead me to dealing with people to some degree. Yeah. Um, and then um, in university, I actually had a full-time job working for a real estate development company. So mm. I started working at the front desk of a student condo um, just in Waterloo. It was the first luxury condo of its kind in Canada. Um, and then I eventually I was working basically full time while I was finishing up school. And then that kind of led me into my career into real estate development. And that's kind of where I started off. Right, right, right. And that's where you met Mark, it seems. Um, you know, you I was reading your bio and I did see that. Um, well, and also yes. you told me that you just got married. So congratulations on the wedding too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Two days, two days ago now. Yes. Very fresh. <laughs> Very good. Well, listen, um, so that all sounds great. So obviously Mark started the business. He's a co-founder of the business as well. And then you found yourself highly involved yep. in the business. So why don't we go um, into a little bit of the detail on True Local, where the idea came from, uh, what sparked the idea yeah, and sort of uh, what the initial or, um, you know, the very early stages of the business looked like. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what sparked the original idea was Mark actually, um, right towards the end of university, when we first met, he was working for a door-to-door -door meat delivery service. And mm -hmm. essentially what they did at the time, this was, it, unless you were going directly to a farmer or a butcher, this was your only other option to get connected to like local suppliers um, delivered straight to your door. Yeah. So they did door-to-door -door meat sales. And what they would do is they would sell you a freezer worth of, um, a freezer worth of like a year's worth of meat. Yeah. Um, and it was quite a qu commitment. So I think the smallest package that you could get was around $3,000. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's great for families that have, you know, the size. Yeah. They've got a freezer in their garage or something. Um, yeah. Have the space to store. But a lot of people that totally, totally. But there were a lot of people who, you know, they live in smaller spaces that don't necessarily have the space for a chest freezer, or maybe it's just, um, a smaller family or a single single person um, just living at home. Maybe they don't eat that much meat. It's a big commitment. Mm. Um, so there was a there was a big market that was underserved there, um, and it was also a very kind of old school way of of Buying selling meat. meat. You know, door yeah, to door. Selling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. For sure, for sure. So he kind of saw a need there when he would go into people's homes and you know try to sell them this package of meat and the number one piece of feedback was, you know, that's a big commitment when we haven't tried it or, you know, we don't have the space or we really don't eat that much meat. So it's, it's, you yeah. know, it, it just doesn't work for us. We'd like something smaller and more customizable. And that's kind of what sparked the idea. Um, his background is actually more in tech. So he kind of took his love for tech and, you know, his knowledge of meat and that industry and turned it into something mm. new. Mm -hmm. um, at the time in Canada, there was nothing like True Local. There was no direct to home meat delivery service mm -hmm. that you could, you know, customize your orders online. The U.S. had ButcherBox, and they I was going to say well, that, but Canada had yeah. nothing that just focused on meat. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where the idea, where the idea came from. Yeah, that's cool. So there was a proven model out there that was obviously working down in the States that you guys could look to and go, yeah, here's something that we mm -hmm. could potentially bring up here. So the initial model, like talk to us about like um, the initial, you know, um, sketch out of the business model itself and uh, how um, you guys went out and started to put all of the pieces together. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so this was actually really funny in the very beginning of it. Um, essentially what Mark and his business partner, Greg did was they went to all the, all these different meat suppliers. It started off in Ontario, all these different mm. meat suppliers that they had kind of vetted and thought that they might like to work with just based off of, you know, the claims that they had out on their websites and the reviews like that. Yeah. And I think this was the first time that these suppliers had someone come to them and ask for a certain product. So, okay, you know, you guys say that you're grass fed and grass finished. Would you be willing to sign a contract claiming that you are so? Hmm. And the amount of suppliers that they had that weren't willing to do that, I think hmm. was very eye-opening. Hmm, um, hmm. So they really kind of vetted it to suppliers that were willing to stand by what they were claiming. Um, and they kind of told them about the idea, you know, they had this idea to buy product from these suppliers, inbound it in their own kind of fulfillment center, have customers customize their boxes, ship them directly to customers. So many people laughed at them. Um, this was the first time that me, you know, in Canada had ever really been, you know, shipped in the mail. Mm. So a lot of people really didn't think that it would work. Um, so uh, the next step was trying to get couriers on board. So actually, one of the, one of the greatest true local stories from um, starting off was um, when we got FedEx on board originally. So essentially how it works is dry ice is considered a dangerous good, rightfully yep. so. I mean, if you don't handle it properly, it, it's dangerous. Um, and FedEx has a very strict policy about dry ice and leaving it at customers' doors uh, without a signature. So you need to be there to sign for any packages that are that have uh, dangerous goods in them. Obviously, they can't just leave them out at the front door. Mm. And um, they originally, so they originally were not willing to budge on that rule, which is fair. And Mark actually went into several meetings with them to try to pitch the leadership team at FedEx that they should use True Local as a case study for why they should be leaving packages at the door without a signature. Mm. Um, and it was a bit touch and go there for a little bit because if FedEx didn't agree to this, I mean, our, the whole convenience aspect of True Local is out the door. I mean, yeah. if people have to, yeah, if people have to sign for their package to be home for it, or if they have to go pick it up from a depot, nobody's going to order from well, us. Or get it delivered to work um, and then and haul then it home on the train. <laughs> you know, totally, it's not going to work. Totally. Yeah. So it was a little touch and go there for a little bit. Um, <clears throat> and then eventually FedEx agreed to use us as a uh, case study. And so for a few months, obviously there are a lot of different depots across Ontario. So depending mm -hmm. on where we're shipping to, say we're shipping to Toronto, we're shipping one to Muskoka, we're shipping one to London, they go through different depots. Um, and every time our packages would go through a new depot, we would have to go through a learning process with the team there because mm. FedEx is a massive company. It's not really like they put out like a company-wide statement letting yeah. all the depots know that, hey, there's a company called True Local and we're going to be, you know, disregarding all of the rules that we followed in the past for this new little startup. Um, so luckily we had some fantastic account managers at uh, at FedEx. So anytime we would run into a package not leave, not being left behind, we would call them, they would turn the driver around. Um, and it was probably about six to 10 months of that, just calling through each depot every time we had an issue, every time we had a customer, just getting them to turn back around. And I think it just eventually got to the point where the drivers just knew, hey, if I don't leave this at the front door, I'm going to get turned back 
federal legislative door um, at reason FedEx changing their policy around us. That was the reason why we were able to kind of start True Local and, and pave the way for all the other companies that are able to deliver on dry ice now and leave it at front doors. That's incredible. And um, I guess the moral of the story is to be persistent and, you know, get in front of the right people to, you know, make change, especially when, you know, there's something (laughs) as critical as the delivery on a home delivery service isn't, you know, being properly managed. And it's not as if you can put trucks out on the road and, you know, do it yourselves. No, 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 a hundred percent. Our whole business model kind of relied on being able to ship with third-party couriers. So we really needed it to work out, but you're, you're right. Pretty much any pivotal moment at in true local history was because of us being persistent and not taking no for an answer. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people get discouraged when they hear that no, but as a founder, as one of the first like early leadership team, you just have to be the kind of person that just pushes and yeah. is persistent. And if somebody's telling you no, then ask them 10 more times or find somebody who's going to tell you yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so was it hard to get in front of the right people at FedEx to sort of make those changes? Like I'm sure you had to sort of start at the customer service level and work your way up. How did you open those doors? Yeah, totally. So say, back to persistence, honestly, start kind of at the at the customer service level and ask for their manager and ask for their manager mm. and send a lot of LinkedIn messages to even people who you don't think are the people who you're supposed to be talking to. Mm. Just mm-hmm. send it to everybody you can find at FedEx because at some point you will find who you are supposed to find yeah. or you'll get to the point where you're so annoying that they're going to pass you off to somebody or you're, they're <laughs> going to start talking about, hey, there's this guy who's messaged us all on, on on LinkedIn. Like somebody respond to him. He's annoying the crap out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So you were able to sort of make that pivotal change within um, the structure of the business model so that you could actually get it into the consumer's hands. Obviously, that, like you suggested, is a great true local story. What other ones come to mind? Oh my goodness. Um, well, one of my fa- one of my favorite true local stories, and, and probably if you ask anybody in the leadership team, this is like just such a, we have a lot, we've, we have been through some things together the past six years, but one yeah. of the biggest kind of pivotal moments in true local history. So when we first started true local, we worked with a third party dev firm. And they were inc- they were incredible, but we were just growing at such a rate that they they couldn't keep up anymore. I mean, they ha- they had two developers that were dedicated just to our account, um, and we basically had a list. We used to call it the graveyard of tasks that we just couldn't get to because we were just pushing so so we were just pushing so hard and moving so quickly um, that there were a lot of dev tasks that we kind of had to set aside. We really wanted to use our own custom platform. We didn't want to use Shopify or anything like that. We wanted full control over the website and how it works. We wanted a full CRM in the back. We wanted our fulfillment team to be able to use it. We wanted just full control of the entire front end. Um, And so we started off using a third-party dev firm. Uh, we grew super, super fast. And unfortunately, because of that, um, you know, there was a bunch of bugs in the website that we just kind of set aside and we're like, we'll get to it eventually. We'll get to yeah. it eventually. And then it got to the point where it really hit us that, you know, it was time for us to start our own dev uh, team. When we got to the point where we could, you know, hire our own developers, we're like, okay, we got to bring this in house because it's just going to be so much easier. It's going to be more affordable. It's going to be quicker and we can start to tackle some of these bugs. So we kind of brought on our own dev team and they got to work to create, to recreate our entire backend of the website. And essentially we 
So they worked for about eight months recreating the entire back end. And I remember this day so, so very clearly. Uh, it was October 31st. It was Halloween. Um, and we were going to migrate our old system into our new system. So the way that it works is there's like three different, well, at the time there's four different parts of the website. So the front end is where the customers interact. They can cancel their subscriptions. They can customize their box, yep. um, pause, all that good stuff, which then communicates with the back end of our website. So at the time we called that V1 version one, and that's where we can fulfill orders. We can make notes on customers' accounts. Yep. Um, we can kind of make actions on behalf of them. And then that communicates with Stripe, which is a third-party payment provider. Okay. Yep. And all those things kind of have to communicate together seamlessly in order to run True Local. And so that was the day that we were now migrating all of our old information into the new backend of the website. <clears throat> our de developers came in around 3 a.m. Mark came in and met them. Um, they started the process. Everything seemed to be going smoothly. They left around 7 a.m. And then that's when our customer service team and the rest of our ops team came in um, into head office. And it seemed like everything had gone smoothly. And fast forward a few a few hours into the day and we start the customer service team starts to slowly see, you know, some some questions that we aren't typically getting. So, you know, somebody paused their subscription a week ago, but now they're suddenly getting billed. Um, somebody has been billed multiple times somebody is trying to do something on the front end and it's not working and then it, we started to realize that the migration didn't work properly um and so this this time in true local history we call this the 12 days of phoenix so our new system we wanted to call it phoenix because we wanted to rise from the ashes you know we wanted it to <laughs> yes we wanted we wanted our new system to rise from the ashes of our old system yeah, yeah. and um Ironically, our new system almost burned the entire company to the ground. <laughs> Something rose out of the ashes, yeah. <laughs> Something did, yes. So you honestly, we call it the 12 days of Phoenix, but it lasted probably about four months to clean everything up. Mm. But the 12, first 12 days were pivotal in trying to figure out what is going on. So we had Stripe trying to take control. So Stripe was billing customers who had canceled their subscriptions or who were paused. Customers were on the front end of the website and they were, you know, trying to make actions, but it wasn't communicating with our new back end. So we had these three systems that were all kind of competing for control. Um, and so we were just trying to kind of, we were just trying to kind of figure out like little by little what the issues were and, you know, what we could tackle. And it got to the point where we were like, okay, in order for this to stop, we need to do two things. We need to shut down the front end of the website. So we'll make it so that customers not perform any actions because any actions they so we shut down the account, you know, please set info at true local if you have any queries. So we would just keep track of everything that was coming on a spreadsheet and just pray that in the next few days we could come back to them with a solution. Um, and the second thing we eventually, after a few days, we realized what we had to do was our original system, Stripe, the payment provider, told us when to bill subscriptions and when they renewed. And the way that our new Phoenix would work is that Phoenix would tell Stripe. So these two were competing and we had to cut off Stripe. Mm. And so at that moment, it was like, if we cut off Stripe and if we can't fix our new backend we have effectively killed the business. Like yeah. there is no way. From There's no money coming in. Exactly. There's literally no money coming in. There's no, and you know, once you've 
I think the internet's a little once you okay. will persist. Yeah. Okay. Um, once you've lost those customers, you know, it's not easy to just email all these customers back a month later and be like, hi, do you want to be our customer again? Um, so we made the decision to do that. Uh, so we cut Stripe. I remember the moment this happened, we were all standing around our developer, Jamie's, um, uh, laptop. And I think the entire team, we were just holding back tears because this was the moment. Um, it ended up working out okay. We fixed it all within 12 days. Um, not fixed it all, but fixed it to a point where, you know, we could start to kind of consolidate the data um, and start to like properly code the new backend. Um, but yes, I remember at the time it was crazy because at that moment, so many of our team members, so our fulfillment team, our customer service team, our devs, we were there from 7 a.m. until 11 p.m. every single day, mm-hmm. Monday to Friday. Yeah. I remember my parents went out. They went grocery shopping for us. They stocked the entire office. We were basically living there. Our fulfillment team, they just, they absolutely rallied. You know, there were, their invoices made no sense and they just persisted through. And we, I don't know, it was like, it was the moment in true local history where we re- where we really realized what we had created culture wise. Mm. We all cried together. We all laughed together. Mm-hmm. We're all like living off of absolutely no sleep. I remember, I remember, I would the customer service team. There's three of us at the time, and they would go home at the end of the day at eleven o'clock at night, and our inbox had hundreds of emails in it because none of these customers can do anything on the front mm. end of their website. And I would still be at the office, and I would see that my team had gone home. And at around 11.30 p.m., they started re-tagging themselves in email communication. to They were at home getting on top. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just now looking back on it, it's for the first two years, it was really difficult to talk about. I think even some of our team members now, when we talk about it, we get very emotional. Um, But looking back on it, it was like it was the moment where we realized how absolutely incredible our team is. Like they did absolutely everything. They could have easily just, you know, hands up. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys figure it out. But they all rallied. And because of them, we were able to save the company. So that was definitely I think that it's definitely one of my favorite. Yeah, and that's actually an awesome story. So a couple of things like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like through tough times like that, I think that culture is born. And, you know, whether it's a footy team or a cricket team or you're talking about sports, you know, like it's the real, they're the deal breakers, you know what I mean? And you come out the other side of those really tough battles, like so much stronger. Um, What year did this occur? How long had you been in business when this occurred? So this happened, it was the year before the pandemic. So the pandemic. 2020. First year of that. So it was 2019, was it? 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're about three years into the business at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And so I see um, when I was doing your research, like your annual revenues are exceeding $20 million. That's sort of where you're sitting now. Where were you guys sitting in terms of revenues at that stage? Um, I think we are about half of that. Mm -hmm. So the pandemic definitely like we saw a massive spike the following yeah. year. So we were yeah. about half of that at the time. Okay, so 10 mil. What a huge, yeah, I can only imagine uh, the customer uh, service mm-hmm. disaster that you guys had on your hands. So like if I'm thinking about the people that listen yeah. to this podcast, they're business owners and operators, you know, they're small startup businesses and, you know, people that have been in business as long as you. And I think um, the lessons that we could 
learn from this conversation right now is sort of on the customer service side of things. So if we're thinking about like the frustration that your consumers had logging, you know, jumping on your website, not being able to place orders, having Mm -hmm. credit cards charged and so on. How did you get ahead of that? Like, how did you work through that process to keep your customer base? Yeah. So honestly, one of the biggest things that we did during this time, and this was when in 2019, we had started to get some competitors. So we had some companies out there that had started doing the same kind of thing, the mm-hmm. same kind of model as True mm-hmm. Local, very similar websites, similar yep. kind of system. So, I mean, if we lose these customers, they they have options at this yeah. point. It's not like it's very early True Local days. Yeah. They have yep. options to find something that works yep. a little more seamlessly for them. So when this first happened, um, one of our one of our kind of mottos at True Local since the very beginning has been to be very very brutally honest with our customers Mm. we never sugarcoat things we um one of the things that our cx team you know when we bring on new team members we always kind of encourage them to use emojis and exclamation marks and really let their personalities shine because we want people to know that it's a human being behind the computer yeah so instead of sending out one of those generic like we are having we are experiencing some technical (laughs) difficulties yeah yeah I actually ended up writing an email and it was titled WTF True Local. And we sent this to every single one of our customers. And it was literally the t- the subject line was WTF True Local in huge letters. Yeah. And I just poured my heart out in this email and I said, hey, listen, here's what's going on. We are, you know, a small startup. One of the one of our biggest goals this year was to move to our own back end. And, you know, we pulled that trigger on October 31st. And we have had the scariest Halloween in true local history. Shit's gone sideways. Yeah. Because we are now, yes, a hundred percent. We are like, we are working 24-7. We promise you we are here. We're gonna fix this. Just be patient with us. And Hayden, I am telling you, the emails we got back from our customers, Mm. we all sat around a laptop. It was our customer service team, our marketing team, ops, dev. We all sat around a laptop and we cried reading the email responses from our Mm. customers Mm -hmm. because they were just amazing. The amount of people being like, I've been there. I work in tech. I work in customer service. I love you guys. You can do this. You can push through. We had customers emailing us asking if we needed help and fulfillment to help uh, fulfill boxes. We had customers offering to come in and help answer emails. <laughs> it was the most heartwarming. And I think that kind of showed us that because we had always been honest with our customers up until mm. then. But mm-hmm. it kind of showed us that honesty is the best policy. People don't want an email being like, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing some technical difficult like no they want to know that there's a human being behind the company that they're supporting and we Mm -hmm. were just super human with them yeah um and surprisingly during that time and we lost a tiny tiny fraction of the amount that we thought we would yeah no that's an awesome story um so yeah transparency is just so critical isn't it and i've heard that from so many people and like it's what we do here at food pack as well we're extremely honest and transparent and you know go overboard in that space because um it's it sounds like it's something that everybody would be doing but it's really not it's bizarre isn't it right you'd think that it's kind of a given but yeah it's definitely not and um 
So where to from here? I mean, the customer service side of thing, it sounds like it's what's defined you at True Local, as well as obviously having the right uh, infrastructure revolving around the business to be able to support the volume of the product that you're pushing out there and connecting with all of the clients that you have. You've grown the team to 60 employees, which is unbelievable. Like I wasn't expecting your team to be so big. Where are the bulk of the employees or what sort of sector of the business are they sitting in? So we... um... Every time we expand to a new location, so right now we're in Ontario, Alberta, and BC. Yeah. Um, so each of those locations has its own fulfillment team out there. Mm-hmm. We've grown our marketing team over the years. Um, we have we've grown our CX team over the years. And then finally, thankfully, we've been able to in the past year uh bring on an actual accounting team. And before we had one person doing like six different roles. So we've slowly been able to kind of expand and and bring on people that can just focus on specific things, which has been really, really nice. But mm. I would say we really try to keep the bulk of our team in fulfillment because we know how important it is for boxes to get out the door on time yep. and customer service because we really try to make sure that we're staffed as often as possible. So we, we have CX from Monday to Sunday. Um, from 8.30 a.m. until 4.30 p.m., we have one shift. And then 4.30 p.m. till 9.30 p.m., we have our second shift so that mm-hmm. customers always feel like they ha- they get a response quickly. Um, and I think that's where where the bulk of our team is coming from right now. That's awesome. Um, I think before we kicked off, uh, I mentioned to you that I just had Nash and Alia from Switch Grocery uh, on the podcast. And it was a great chat. Like, I respect the hell out of Naya and all of her insights. And the topic of conversation. Yes, I, me too. She's great, isn't me she? Me too. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, she was actually one of True Local's like very, very first customers back in 2016. Oh, I don't doubt it for a second. And she mentioned your um, level of customer service was awesome. So I'm glad that we did talk about that today. But um, the the uh, topic of conversation for Naya's podcast was about, you know, obviously she's got a, an online retail business or e-commerce very much like you, you know, in terms of the business model that she's mm-hmm. operating. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, we were discussing sort of the downturn at the moment that is being experienced quite widely out there. Um, obviously e-com had a, mm-hmm. a great run through COVID as you previously mentioned as well. Um, yep. I think of a business that's sort of at your scale and that has the traction that you currently have and with your level of customer service and, you know, um, the size of the team that you have out there, I'd just like to sort of um, touch on the actionable items that you sort of think made the biggest impression with your client base to either maintain them or to grow them throughout the sort of this period at the moment, if you've managed to maintain it. Yeah, yeah. So we, we're, we're, you know, going through all the same stuff that every other kind of e-com business is going through right now Um, with inflation, obviously the cost of absolutely everything has increased. So Mm. our dry ice, our packaging, the meat, labor, absolutely everything. So we're definitely not immune to what's going on. Um, I think we're really I personally think that Facebook ads can, are eventually going to be a dying trend. So I do, I, I have, which this is completely just, it's not based on fact. It's just, I think that we will eventually move back to once people are doing in-person events and stuff like that. I think that trade shows and like partnerships will be kind of the way to find loyal customers mm-hmm. um, down the road once that those are starting to pick up again, but we're focusing on that. 
but we're also just really, and we have been since the very beginning, but really focusing on our level of service because everybody's shipping meat in the mail now. We have so many competitors out there. I mean, it's not, it's not this innovative thing like it was in 2016 when we started. Um, people have kind people have figured it out for sure. But I think that no matter what, even in an economy like this, people will pay for a premium you know it's six dollars for a drink it's wild when you think about it but have you ever left a starbucks feeling crappy you always go there and they're so incredibly kind and Mm -hmm. you know they let you take your time to place an order and they, you know, you leave and you're holding on to that $6 coffee and you're like, ah, oh, wow, I feel good. You know, I'm starting my day good. I feel happy. There's always going to be people that are willing to pay for that experience as long as you are able to deliver and stand mm-hmm. behind your service. Mm-hmm. And so I think that with our, with customer service specifically, whenever we bring on a new team member, I really try to kind of hammer home the Starbucks of meat. Like I want people to feel like it's so much more than just you're ordering something online. I want them to be able to get in touch with us whenever they want to. I want them to get that box and be like, just the same way you get your Starbucks and you want to Instagram it. I want them to get that box and be like, this is cool. This is something that I'm a part of. These people care about me. These people, you know, they respond to my Instagram messages. They comment on my posts. Like they care about me. Um, And I think that a lot of companies kind of preach good customer service, but very few deliver on it. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that we can continue to be very competitive on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we might not be able to win in the game now. There's so many, there's so many alternatives out there, but I know for a fact that we will always be able to give the best service. And for mm. those customers looking for that white glove service, that's where true local is going to come in. That's great. So we so, really try to keep focusing on that. That's perfect. And you did list a few things in the email that you and I um, sent back to each other a few times. So you mentioned first box yeah. surveys, recently implemented first box welcome calls, which was good. And then from the uh, the beginning, you also said you've encouraged your team to communicate to your top customers like they're your friends. And that sort of rings very, very true to sort of what the um, Naya's yeah. approach as well to building her community around her business as well. So Talk to me a little about those first box surveys. Like how detailed are they? Or are they just very, very quick, approachable surveys? They're very quick, approachable surveys. They don't take very long. Um, Most of it is a scale. So how frozen did your box come? Mm -hmm. How happy are you with the products? Um, The value, any additional comments? Um, And then for the longest time, what we would do is we would export all of those responses and wherever we would see a red flag. So if a customer said, hey, yeah, you know, this happened, but the first thing we would do is we would check our email as that customer reached out about this thing that happened in their survey. And if we hadn't spoken to them, we would reach out to them first to Mm. be like, hey, I noticed you filled out the first box survey. I noticed you mentioned that your delivery was a little delayed. Can I get more information? Let's yeah. let's hop on a on a phone call and chat about this. So originally it started with that, and then recently we decided that regardless, even if they have a good experience or a not so great experience, that we would take the time to pick up the uh, the phone with them just to welcome them. Hey, I Fox, have you tried any of the products? How do you feel so far? How was the delivery? Mm-hmm. Um, any feedback at all? And then that way we can kind of catch any CX or potential issues that could show up. We find that. 
most people in, subscri in subscription-based services, they fall off between the first order and the second. So we want to try to get them before they potentially fall off on the second box. Um, and it might be something as small as, you know, they didn't like one courier and now we switch their preferred courier to a different yeah. courier. And yeah, that yeah. might be enough to, to keep them around. Yeah, that's awesome to get that information. Um, and you're right. Like it's just sometimes it's just the smallest thing that could sway somebody's decision making process. Um, totally, totally. So there's some things that have worked. What kind of things have you tried in the past that didn't work and you sort of cut it really quickly? Hmm. That's a really good question. Ooh, there's there. Okay. So there's one thing that I'm super, we've, we've had live chat on the website before. Um, definitely. I am not a fan of live chat. I don't know why. I just feel like it's so quick. It's so quick. Um, and you don't have enough time to like really make a connection with the customer. Mm -hmm. And especially with the amount of people we have on our website at a given time, we just don't have enough staff to staff it the way that I would love it to be staffed. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like it results in a not so great experience. So unless you have, you know, a dedicated team of X amount of people and they're all sitting there and their, their job is to be on live chat and provide really quick responses, um, put personality behind those responses. I think it does the opposite of what you want it to do. Um, and then I, I just, I just hate the potential of, you know, missing a message or because you're typing quickly, you accidentally spell something wrong, or you accidentally come off a certain type of way. I really don't like that. Mm -hmm. So we've had live chat in the past worked really well in 2016. You know, hardly anybody was on our website, but it's not something that we can manage. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, we've never tried this before, but one thing that I'm very against in, in customer service is, um, like call times, resolution times. I'm mm -hmm. very, I don't want our CX team to ever feel like a call center. I want it to feel like the opposite. So when a customer, you know, if we're on the phone with a customer and they start, I always tell our team to keep the conversation going. Like there's no. We don't want customers to feel like, you know, when you call, when you call a customer service line, they're just trying so quickly to get you off the phone because mm. they know that they're being timed on resolution. I always have really preached being the opposite. So if a customer is calling you and they want to talk about their two guinea pigs, you sit there and you talk about the two guinea pigs because that's what that customer wants at the time. So that that's one thing that I'm very... And the guinea pigs is a real example. I <laughs> <laughs> don't doubt it for a second. That's really funny. So customer service is your jam and uh, you've been, you know, obviously working in this space for such a long time. Where did you sort of feel as if you got your real start in the sort of whole customer service experience? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like I never really, it's not like I ever, I don't know. It's not like I ever kind of intended to go into customer mm. service mm -hmm. i have just always been very comfortable around people and i think i've always done a good job of kind of reading human beings mm. um and especially for what what i went to school for too and yeah. i've always kind of had like people facing jobs so my my first job ever was tim hortons for four years um i literally as soon as i could work i was 15 years old i remember as soon as i turned 15 mm -hmm. i went and i put my resume into tim hortons because i wanted yep. to start working so I was working, you know, face to face with customers there. Um, and then I worked for an experiential marketing company. So I would work for different brands, trade shows, meeting people in real life at events. Um, and then I worked 
as a uh, leasing agent slash uh, property manager for the real estate development company. So I always kind of had people facing jobs. And mm. then when Mark started True Local, he needed somebody to, he specifically asked me for, he said he was looking for somebody who could make sure that people found out about the brand and what True Local is. And two, that people, to make sure that people would fall in love with that brand. And to me, that that like just scream customer service and like mm. this, you know, we need to interact with customers via email, via social media. People love to feel like a connection to the products that they buy. Um, and I think it's not so much that I like, ha I'm like an expert in customer service by any means. I just really was making sure that people loved true local as much as we loved true local. And I think kind of resonated to our community. That's perfect. Kind of, uh, so Jake Carls is out there with uh, Midday Squares. He's their hype man. I'm sure you're aware of Jake. Um, have you come across him on LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's great. So you're kind of doing the same thing, essentially, at the end of the day. He's like out there, obviously, doing a Walmart milk run tour at the moment or about to embark on that, but just building some hype around the brand as well, just through, you know, building excitement. I think it's so critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And just creating a community that, like I think we always meat is not cool. Meat is not like sexy. Nobody thinks about meat and is like, oh, this is really cool. So we wanted to make it a cool experience. That's why we had the slick black box. Yeah. And then we also all the kind of true local gear, the swag that we put out over the years, we always tried to make it instead of looking like a company, we tried to make it look like a really cool brand. So it would yeah. just say local with the maple leaf on it. Yeah. No true local, no website, no nothing like that. It was just something that you wanted to be a part of because it was you know, it was cool. It was a cool brand. It was a cool team. These people respond to you on Instagram. These people, you know, send you emojis and remember your birthday when you email them, yeah. stuff like that. I think that really people want a brand, a brand is a feeling and people want to feel something when they support a company. Um, and I think it's just super, super important for companies to remember that it's, it's so much more, it's about the people over the profit people mm. first, and then the profits will come. It's amazing what you've built in eight years. It's such a short period of time. And to grow the business and have a successful exit like you did, you guys must have been absolutely thrilled when that opportunity came your way as well. Oh my goodness. Yes. The the emotions were running wild that day, that's for sure. Did it feel um, like the right thing to do? Like how long was the process from like the initial or first conversation when somebody approached you to it actually happening? Um, it was pretty long, actually. I think it was yeah. about eight months of back and forth kind of due diligence yeah. and we, we actually, because uh, it was the height of the, the, height of the pandemic, mm. and we actually had quite a few choirs reach out at, at the time. Yeah. And we had always known, I think when you, I think when you start a business, you kind of always have to have a game plan on where you want it to go. Otherwise, it's really difficult to get the leadership team all mm. on the same page. Because yeah. if you're, you know, five years into the business and, you know, one founder wants to continue growing next 20 years, but the other founder wants an exit. No, when you start a business, what is the game plan? Is this a business that you want, you know, to have for X amount of years, whoever, and just, you know, build it to a point where it's, and we would love to exit. Um, not, <clears throat> not just to be financially stable, but because we had genuinely sold everything we owned to do this. Mm. We had both taken massive pay cuts. Um, I don't think Mark paid himself until like three or four years into the business. And it was just enough to 
pay the bills and that was it. Yeah. So we always put the business first. Um, and I think it had just gone to the point where we knew that like, we, we couldn't like, like we had put absolutely everything into the business and it was the right move for, for us, like mentally and, and emotionally and physically, but yeah. it was also the right move for our team. Like yeah. we weren't the only ones that made sacrifices. Our of entire course. leadership team, they all took pay cuts. They all worked long hours. They moved, you know, across to other provinces to help us expand. And it was time for them to get benefits that they deserve. It was time for them to get that work-life balance. Um, and that's ultimately why why we decided to to pull the trigger on it. Well, congratulations. Um, what an amazing success story. And yeah, obviously you guys have put all of your blood, sweat and tears into it and to have that exit and, you know, Thank the you. reward um, to, you know, support all of the effort that you put into it is is an amazing story. So congratulations to you all. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. No worries. And thank you very much for sharing today. Um, I've really enjoyed the stories and I think that everybody listening today will have learned a ton from it as well. I think, you know, there are some actionable items in there and, you know, um, your stories revolving around customer service are awesome. They're obviously world-class stories as well. And I think the moral of the story is, is that everybody has their trials and tribulations, you know, and it's through those um, yes. tough times that, you know, that you're actually forged in the fire. Like you said, you like, you come out the other totally. side of it a lot stronger for it. And um, even though it feels like a hell of a time 100%. in the moment, um, you know, you'll always reflect back on it and going, well, look at how far we've come since then. A hundred percent. I mean, just one small example before, before we wrap up is to this day now, after 12 days of Phoenix, everything that we've gone through after that. So when the pandemic happened, you know, the acquisition, any, any kind of new challenge that has, has happened at true local has just felt like a piece of cake because now that we've gone through the 12 days of Phoenix, it feels like everything else is manageable. If we can get through almost crashing our entire business, we can get through a couple of period delays for sure. <laughs> you know what I love? I love that you've named it. You've named that period. I think that's monumental. Oh. I think that's cool. Oh my goodness. We even had a 12 days of Phoenix anniversary party a year later. <laughs> it was called the I survived the 12 days of Phoenix. Well, it's kind it was of cool. a, a whole theme. Yeah. We had t-shirts. I survived the 12 days of Phoenix. <laughs> well, it's awesome that it revolves around Halloween as well. That's pretty cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah. How, how fitting. I know. Hey, listen, thank you so much for your time. If anybody wanted to uh, reach out to you and chat further about, you know, the customer service side of things and um, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, for sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. I'll, uh, I'll put that down in the show notes for everybody as well. Perfect. Um, listen, it's been lovely chatting with you. Congratulations once again on your uh, recent marriage. I think that's awesome. Thank you, Hayden. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I really, really had a great time. It's a pleasure. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Dan. Bye. All right. So that was episode 99 with Emma from True Local. Uh, a lot in that one. Hey, and uh, yeah, if you've got any feedback from today's show, the best way to get in touch with me is by finding me on LinkedIn under Hayden Thompson, or you can shoot me an email at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. Now, next week, episode 100 with Sarah from More Granola. Uh, this is actually Sarah's second time on the show, the first episode of which she went into a lot of detail on her startup story and the business idea and her business model. But this one is really a catch-up, and it's a uh, it's a great opportunity to sort of find out where the business is at and uh, where it's currently going and 
yeah, a lot in that one too. So yeah, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate the hour that you put in or you set aside to listen in each week. And uh, yeah, looking forward to having you back. Cheers. Cheers.